0: Larry Weedy
1: kind.
2: Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. I'm the Spiritual Wellness Director and Alumni Coordinator for Matthew's Hope Detox. We are inside St. Joseph's downtown. We are a 10 to 14 day detox and this radio show is sponsored by the Matthew's Hope Foundation. We're going to give you lots of information about that later in the show if you want to grab a pen and paper. In studio with me today is my co-host lovely husband, Donnie Mosier. Hello. I will allow him to be here because his beard is finally growing back. I've been praying so much <laughs> and God is answering my prayers. Uh,
1: <laughs> I'm still missing a chin, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, God will get to that. You guys, Sometimes slowly, Donnie, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but more important than my husband being here, I have a really special guest in studio today. It's a good friend of mine. His name is Brian Brennan. Welcome, Brian.
0: Well, thank you, Heather.
2: <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, so Brian is the Director of Alumni Services and Aftercare. Something like that. Did I get that right?
0: Director of Alumni (laughs) and Continuing Care Services for Starlight Recovery Center. For Starlight
2: Recovery Center. Um, This is a really special place for me in my heart because Starlight is where I got sober. Finally. (laughs) Finally.
1: (laughs) I mean... (laughs) There's so many people grateful for that, starting with most law enforcement in Oklahoma.
2: Shut up. I'm a good, upstanding citizen now, but mostly thanks to Starlight and a little action on my part, but uh, God orchestrated some amazing things. But that's why I wanted to have him on, because I totally respect and love him and what he does for the alumni community and what starlight does to teach people about the nature of addiction and alcoholism but let's back up for a second i want to talk about like just our recovery for a second like i went to treatment five times before i quote got it (laughs) brian how many times did you go to treatment
0: four four before i got it <laughs> Yeah, before all the pieces really really uh came together
2: but let's yeah. yeah and so donnie you didn't go to treatment at all except for that time when you were 15 that doesn't count
1: yeah i wasn't even an alcoholic my parents <laughs> just didn't know what to do with me so we're like you know what let's just lock him up for a year and a half yeah
2: you went to rehab for a year for like weed
1: F- literally uh, <laughs> yeah i won't even name the place they got shut down uh, evidently we're doing the same thing to a lot of people but yeah. it was in the 80s before there was any insurance regulation and my dad had good insurance and they're like oh we got one yeah
2: and so when yeah. when the insurance uh, when the year came and insurance ran out you were cured on the
1: <laughs> 364th day they're like listen blue cross blue shield says you're healed
2: yeah whatever see ya yeah but you know Brian and I work in this industry and i think that for people who do choose to work in the treatment industry, it's because we have a very deep-seated passion about helping others because of navigating our own recovery. Would you say that's true?
0: Absolutely, for sure, you know, and... um it's just part of my nature, right? Uh, before working in the treatment industry, I was a special education teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before that, I was trying to be an actor. And um, so, you know, I'm one of those passionate people.
2: Yes, me too.
0: Um, and so once I got sober, I returned to, to teaching, and
1: um, that's just not where it was at.
2: Right. I just know, want to point
1: out how close recovery and special ed is, though, for the newcomers. <laughs> that's <20. laughs> thousand percent.
0: I've, I've been able to use crossover skills yes. for sure. Absolutely.
2: I use those skills with him, with my husband. What? Uh, but no, for real, like, so back up, when when did you start to realize in your life that drugs or alcohol was more than like recreational? Like when were you like, okay, something is up here. I'm not. Well,
0: I mean, I started um, drinking and using when I was around 13 or 14 years old, Um you know, I, I, it really wasn't a problem. Like, um, you know, I, I didn't start having any big consequences, yeah. right, for my drinking or using until, like, around the age of 19. Now, however, you know, all throughout high school, I had a party reputation, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and the people that I sought out and, and hung around with, you know, People at, at school knew, you know, these are the folks that you can go and have a good time with. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I, you know, I did student council stuff. I graduated um, in the top of my class. I was in college prep classes. Yeah. You know, I did all the stuff.
2: Yeah. Me too.
0: Um, And it was fine, you know, but I always took it farther than most people yeah. <laughs> did, you know.
1: Always overshooting the mark.
0: Absolutely. Now, I did have some, you know, at that time, no, I just thought that this is, you know, it was fun and how I got friends and um, it provided a lot of internal relief. I didn't understand that at the time. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, at that time, you know, I had some boundaries. You know, there were some things I could have done that I didn't do.
2: Speak to the internal relief for a second. When you say that, what what do you mean? What was going on internally that drugs and alcohol seemed to uh, be a solution for?
0: Right. So, um... I am about to be 50 years old on February 3rd. I'll be 50 years old. He's
2: going to be 50 on February 6th.
0: Wow. (laughs) Okay. So Um, I knew
1: there was a draw, and it has to be the Aquarius. (laughs) Yeah. That just means that we're just really good people, you and I. (laughs) Absolutely. The best. The best.
0: Um, So I grew up in Austin, Texas, which for Texas, Austin is a a liberal bubble. Yeah. Right. Um, But I was nothing like other little boys. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I was very um, different. Um, I was very emotional. Um, You know, my mom said that I was always in a great big hurry, right? And what that (laughs) meant, like, I was walking at 10 months, talking full sentences at a year, reading at three, you know. And so there was that part of it where for my age, I was always doing things, you know, that kids my age weren't really doing, you know, I was considered, you know, the gifted and talented. Yeah. Um, And so the world didn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Um, And uh, I just, you know, I was not interested in sports and hunting and fishing and all of those kinds of things, you know, And, and ultimately, not that every little boy that's not interested in those things turns out to be gay. Right. But I, I, that's what it was. Right. You know, I felt apart, separate, and different. Yeah from a very early age. And me
2: too, and that's a real common thread that we hear mm-hmm. often with chronic alcoholics and drug addicts is for various different reasons just never really fitting in or feeling like you do, Right. or feeling like we, we belong. And when I found, you know, I think all high schoolers probably uh, experiment with drugs or alcohol to some degree, uh, but when I did that, man, it fixed something internally in me that I, Needed. <laughs>
0: Thousand percent. Thousand percent.
2: Let's take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. In the studio today with me is Donnie and my good friend, Brian. He's the alumni director and coordinator for aftercare for Starlight Recovery Center. It's in Centerpoint, Texas. I'm excited to have him on and, and share about his recovery story and the good things that Starlight is doing. Uh, so before the break, we were talking about when you always felt different or not a part of finding experimenting with drugs or alcohol kind of covered that up and, and it was a solution
0: it definitely was a solution, and it covered it up. Um, it gave me a sense of belonging in places where I didn't always um, have it. You right. know, growing up, there was a lot of I call it, dichotomies going on. I had a lot of friends, and um, my family was very connected. You know, in our little social, you know, very middle class social yeah. bubble. Um, and uh, but it, I got teased a lot, yeah. and I got made fun of a lot, and um, I had great big reactions. Yeah. You know, to all of that. And, um, Becoming a teenager and starting with drinking and drugging just kind of leveled the playing field. Right. The other element of that was, um, you know, this. is I graduated high school in 1990, um, so I was a teenager in the late 80s. Um, I grew up in Austin, Texas, you know, which is the party capital weird. of the Back world. Back then,
1: Austin was the place to be. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and um, so I went to a gay club the first time when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I I had no other experience about being around other, um, you know, gay folks. Right. I and back then, know. like,
1: it wasn't as advanced as it is today. Nowadays, you know, kids can pick up a device at 11. They can see... More than a parent ever thought they could, and so there was no will and grace. <laughs> right. You know? no. right, right, There was no equality
0: at um, right. right. It, it was the exact opposite of that.
1: So this must have been opening a whole new like well,
0: whoa Pandora's Pandora's box. Right. right. Yeah. I will never forget the first night that I walked into a gay club in downtown Austin, and there were all these fabulously gay people being yeah. as gay as they. <laughs> (laughs) wanted to be
2: yeah
0: um and nobody cared right and and the issue with that was was that we it was a nightclub scene right so we know it goes along with that drinking and drugging and i was stuck in that mode um that this is what it means to be gay this is where the gay people are until i was around 30 years old right yeah right um, You know, so high school things were fine. I had that reputation. No problems, no right. consequences from drinking or, or using. Um, And then I went off to school, to theater school, which was great. I went to San Marcos, and they have a really great theater program back in the olden days when it was Southwest Texas State University. <laughs> yeah.
1: When it was like the number one party school in Playboy magazine's Absolutely. rating for like 10 years. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um. And now the cool thing there was, was I did get an expanded view of, uh you know, gay culture and the gay community because outside of the club scene and the bar scene, you know, there were professors and and other students who were openly, you know, living as gay people and they had jobs and the world, the sky didn't fall and, you know, but again, it was a party atmosphere Mm -hmm. and a party school. And that's when I really started having consequences
2: like what what were some of the consequences well i that i
0: could not um you know, I did horrible in school, right. where school's always a place that I've done really well, because right. my focus was on partying and dating and being in love and all this other so crazy you went from, stuff.
1: Yeah, you went from being, a, you said as a child, being sort of
0: advanced, yeah, quick
1: learner, AP, ready to go, mm, right. and then all of a sudden you're crashing.
0: Things went downhill. I totaled a car, mm,
2: yeah,
0: um, uh, a car my parents were letting me use and thinking about letting me have. And I was drunk, and I, I, I totaled mm-hmm. it, driving between San Marcos and Austin. In and the cops were nice and just waited for my dad to come pick oh. me up and said, we're such a nice boy. The good <laughs> old you know, days. We're not going to do anything. And I totaled the car and my parents were like, well, we'll never you know give you another car again and they meant that they've never bought me another car (laughs)
2: how aware at that time uh, were your parents of your partying or the drinking and drugging were they starting to see some they
0: were starting to see all of the telltale signs um and you know in high school my parents knew um i have an older sister and a younger brother Uh, my sister is not a partier at all my brother and i partied um, about the same amount he's just not one of us one of us yeah (laughs) um so it was different um (laughs) but they were definitely seeing those those traits then
2: did they have good boundaries with you or did they
0: not for a very very long time
2: yeah so (laughs) that's why i love to bring this up uh, because some of our listeners may be the loved ones of so and so what were some things that they did that weren't good boundaries that weren't helpful to you
0: right so you know, there were lots of ups and downs. You know, I, I um, left school and went back home, and I could stay home and I could live there. My parents were never the parents that were going to like pay rent, right? right? Or keep buying me cars. <laughs> that they were not going to do. But I could always come home. Right. And I could live at home. And off and on, off and on throughout my 20s and 30s, that was the case. Yeah. That right. was a fallback. I could. Run everything into the ground, and I knew that I wasn't going to be homeless. Right. right? And there will always be these um, stipulations. You know, Mm -hmm. if you live here, you can't, (laughs) you know, you can't be out all night long. Right. And I could toe that line for a minute or two. Um, But there was never really, really an end point. Uh, My father was my biggest enabler. Really? You know, my mom would be done. My siblings would be pissed because my dad was. Constantly rescuing me yeah. and saving me—that's how it was. You know, they weren't throwing lots of money about it, but I wasn't going to be homeless, and mm-hmm. you know, they were going to be there and and help me as much as possible. Um, by the time I was twenty-four or twenty-five, somewhere along the line, I had gotten a DUI. Okay, and. Um, Uh, I was put on probation, and I could not follow the terms of my probation to save my life. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, that consequence was not enough. Of
2: course not. You know, and
0: every time I was going into probation, they were drug testing me, and I was failing. Right. And um, the probation officer finally said, you know, if you come in here and you fail the drug test one more time, that's it. You know, we're going to put you in jail.
2: And at that time, I'm sure I could bet that you did not understand why yet, why you couldn't leave it alone. No. Did you no. want to yet? No. No. Okay. Not
0: at all. Right. Not at right. all. Um, so what happened was, I remember I had um, been partying all night long, mm-hmm. and it was about six o'clock in the morning, and I was fully inebriated on yeah. several different substances <laughs> and remembered that at 8 a.m. I needed to go to probation. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, I'm not going. <laughs> and uh, I did just didn't go. Yeah. And nothing really happened. And I just said, Okay, well that's it. I'm not going. Right. And um, after about a year, when you stop doing that, they'll put something out on you called a blue warrants. Right. And at that time I was partying and living in Austin and waiting tables and bartending and trying to be an actor, but you know, that was really on the back burner. <laughs> yeah. And so they started sending people to my job. I remember I was waiting tables, mm-hmm. and they're like, Brian, you better get out of here. The cops are oh, here looking no. for you. And so I, you know, of course, I got fired because I just left that job, and that happened a couple of more times. Oh wow! Um, And then the cops were actively going by my family's home. My Mm -hmm. fam, my dad still lives in the house I grew up in. Right, that's was on my driver's license, and my parents just said, "Don't come here because if you come here, we're going to call the police because they've told us that's what we have to do." Because
2: then they would be like harboring, you know, or enabling a fugitive, right?
0: And so I ended up um, with a friend, you know, he was like, hey, just live here. He was working for Dell. And this is like mid-90s, right? So this young guy making all this money, he's yeah. like, if you just do the laundry, make sure we have dinner here, you know, I could have all the...
2: Party Amen, favors is, yeah. I wanted, and
0: I could just hang out. But I was always afraid the cops were going to find me.
1: Right. Um, and I mean, I can imagine like that's like okay, there is a god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have arrived. Problem I have found my
2: solved perfect Definitely. situation
1: <laughs> for a while. That's exactly how
0: I felt. Right. Yeah. And it was a good. It was over the summer. I remember that, and um, it was a good gig for a moment until I was just really miserable, and I just wanted all of that to go away. Right. So the only way to go away was to go and turn myself in, and. Um, I was told I had to go to treatment Mm -hmm. or I had to go to jail. Now, at that time, I didn't understood. It was just for a DUI. Right. I might have gone to county jail for about 30 days and it all probably would have been over. Yep. Right. But I didn't understand that. I just heard jail. And again, remember my past. I'm like, if my little gay self <laughs> <Right>. gets thrown <laughs> in Texas jail for any amount of time, game over. Yeah.
2: Treatment do, would sound better. Right,
0: I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So um, they had me go to treatment. Um, they made me go to state funded treatment. Oh, um, and I did not get very much out of that experience. Right. What I got out of that experience was that um, I have a disease yeah. and it wasn't my fault, and that was about as far as I cared wow. to take yeah,
2: it. Yeah, me too. So, well, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. And we, when we get back from this break, <laughs> Brian's going to get sober. What? What? Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. In studio with me today is my husband, Donnie, and Brian Brennan of Starlight Recovery Center. We are back. And so, uh, you went to treatment.
0: I went to treatment and I fulfilled, you know, what they wanted me to do. Now, I, um, they sent me to an, an IOP in sober living. After that, it was all part of uh, my probation. Um, I did not stay sober 30 days. Right. After that, I managed for another five, six months okay. to do what the judge wanted me to do, where I was only drinking and using on the weekend. So I'm like, see, I'm not as bad as these yeah, people. Yeah, appeasing That's the right. powers that be. Um, now, what I do remember doing at that time was I did... Could identify with myself that drinking and using was going to cause problems in my life, sure. but it was the only solution that I had. I did not understand that in those terms at that right. time, mm-hmm. but I just said, "I'm not as bad as they say I am because I can stop and start when I want to right now." And um, you know, I'm just not ever going to let drinking and using get me in the spot where somebody says, "Do this or go to jail."
1: Right. Well, and you know, the funny thing is, is that in that time in our lives. We've been doing it so much. I mean, our literature talks about uh, the fact that I can't differentiate the true from the false. And at some point, those consequences just become the cost of doing business. It's part
2: of the game. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I just got to be smarter at the
2: game. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) I mean, it wasn't that I was drunk driving. It's that I took that road.
2: Right. And that cop was just unfair.
1: Right. It wasn't (laughs) that I had drugs and a weapon in the car. It was that they pulled me over for a broken license plate light, and they lied about it. Yeah.
0: You know, and so I went on with my life, yeah. and um, uh, for about six years, um, my family thought I was sober. I moved to Dallas; they were in Austin, um, but I wasn't sober right. um, and lied about that. And then got introduced to methamphetamine during yep. that time, Ooh, yep. and ended up homeless. I'll and that. Um, <laughs> the bottom had fallen out. And I remembered that promise I made to myself, yeah. right? And so I did what I always did. I called my family and kind of got honest with them and said, I need to come home. Um, And I was 30 years old at this time. Um, I went home and I would go long periods of time without drinking or using, but I would alcoholically be doing something. So at this time, I... uh, decided that I wanted to become a teacher and then a special ed teacher and then I went back to school and I earned a couple of degrees right okay. so I could go long periods of time you know and well if I get this degree then I get this job I buy this house and yeah. then my I'll get my body to look like this and I'll have this relationship everything will be fine <laughs> and so I could go like just alcoholically pursue all that yeah. stuff then I would get it uh-huh. well there I would be Yeah. and I didn't know Friday happy hour with the other teachers could maybe just be friday happy hour but it may maybe something i was gonna else. party till six o'clock on on uh sunday night yeah right. and i was able or to kind of manage that for a while well yeah. what ended up happening was um you know i got through my 30s that way yeah. and um uh No big consequences. Kind of held on to everything, but kind of not. Got reintroduced to methamphetamines again and Mm. went on a two-year tirade where I was just high all the time.
1: Right. Um, Now, you said homeless, but I'd like to think free-spirited. There you go. (laughs) go. (laughs) Free-spirited. But, you know, we have not only are we born under the astrological sign that you want to be born under, because it just makes us (laughs) really good people. Not like Aries.
2: Hey, what's uh, wrong with Aries?
1: Well, go read some horoscopes because when I read <laughs> they them, <all> like, hate <laughs> me. I know. whoever writes those hates Aries. <laughs> but it's funny how we can uh, we have a very similar story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had consequences for a long time, but I would do the same. I would do what I needed to squash things for a bit and right. make my way. I, I'm I would smoke enough weed to drop an elephant leaving in the morning to go out to work. Same, but
0: but not drinking. Of- Weed that
1: but, makes you real peppy all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But because I wasn't drinking, it's like okay, I'm cool. Not an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. And as right. y'all were
2: talking about that, that reminds me of the man of thirty story in our literature where he was able to not drink for twenty five years right. so he could retire. He had some goals. Like you were right. getting your education, you're doing that. And so just because you can maybe be abstinent for a certain period of time, even if it's years, that doesn't mean you don't have this illness. Well right. it's a
0: progressive nature, yep. right? It gets worse, never better. Yep. So ultimately what ended up happening was um I just the bottom really fell out. My family finally kicked me out, changed the locks, put in a security system into the house, said, Do not come here. Yep. We can't do this anymore. Um and that helped to save my life.
2: Mine too, my dad told me, Heather, don't ever call me again unless you want to go to treatment. Don't show yeah. up at our house, I'm not bringing you food, don't ask for money, but do not call unless you want to go to treatment. One Your
1: dad the... should have started with that policy when you were like 19. <laughs> Same for my dad, <laughs> yeah. but that's what it, do- that's later, what it took. once
0: I was sober, my father apologized yeah, mine to me. Too. And I said, you don't owe me an apology. You did. I said, "Of all, I have a great dad. Yeah. I said, of all the time and money and everything that you ever gave me, the best thing you ever gave me was when you stopped giving me all of yep. that. They would answer my phone calls and yeah, they yeah, wanted yeah. to know I was alive and they talked to counselors and psychiatrists, but they weren't coming to any family programs right. anymore. <laughs> so ultimately, I have a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. I became so strung out, homeless, all this stuff. I could not get to the one thing that would make everything all right. right. And um, I took a bunch of pills, somehow got to a hospital and ended up in a like locked cycle. Psych- Mm -hmm. Um, And the only way they would let me out of the locked sight word was if family came and got me or I agreed to be transferred directly to a treatment center. Mm. Does your
1: dad know that by him shutting the door on you that he most likely saved your life? Yes, thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Because that's what we really want people out there to understand is that if you have a loved one, they're going to go through. Listen, I went through what I needed to go through. There was no timer. There was no restriction somebody could give me. I was going to go through it until I wasn't going to go through it anymore. Um, And I think that because it's so hard with loved ones, we want to help them. But what we don't understand is that if I have a loved one who is in addiction, who is in alcoholism, Anything I do to make their life easier, I'm killing them. I really am. I'm contributing to the problem. And it's so hard for us, a so counterintuitive to say, okay, hands off. I've got, I've got to give this person to God. I've got to give this person to themselves and let them do what they need to do. And they will ultimately get to the end of their run a little quicker.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely, for sure. Um,
0: so I was in the psych ward and um, they told me to get on a computer and to pick out some treatment centers. And I wanted to stay in the Dallas area. So the first place I called, they could take me, but it would be two weeks. I didn't have an open bed. I'm like, well, I'm not staying here for two weeks. (laughs) Right. Then the next on my list was Starlight Recovery Center. And I called and they answered and I did my assessment. And I'm like, my family's not going to help me. I did have insurance. I was technically still um, employed. So that part was good um and they were like well we can fly you there and the psych hospital said we'll give you a uh cab voucher yeah. to get you to the airport mm-hmm. and they flew me down to san antonio starlight is uh 45 miles west of san antonio down mm-hmm. i-10 they had somebody there to pick me up i had no idea where i was
2: yeah i didn't know
0: what The only thing i know about kerrville was that they had a folk festival <laughs> yeah there. yeah yes um And uh, the facility is out on 54 acres. It's beautiful in the hill country, but you drive and drive and drive. And I don't know where I'm I'm like, where the hell are they taking me? Are they taking
1: me out to kill me in the woods or what? And they
0: finally, I finally arrived. But I have a very bad taste in my mouth about treatment because I thought it didn't work. I had been exposed in that first treatment experience to 12 steps. And I just thought that was BS, and the people were horrible, and I told them I'm not doing any of that when I'm there, they're like, well, you have to go to the 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 12-step classes. And I was like, fine, I'll go, but I'm not doing that. And I got there i mean i had just tried to kill myself so i knew i needed some more counseling yeah you know but walking in the door to that treatment experience i was going to get myself together get my resources back together and do what i did before just go back and not let it get so out of hand right now luckily while i was there i really connected with um uh the woman who had my uh position that I have now, or she was alumni coordinator and she was teaching the big book classes Mm -hmm. and she had experience with methamphetamines Mm -hmm. and she was able to relate her methamphetamine, you know, show that how it was the same as drinking. Right. And I had a spiritual experience um, around the steps. I had one movie of the week, spiritual experience (laughs) over step three. Yeah. um, And um, I, I, I did something called a third step prayer. Yep. And um, did it earnestly in this chapel that overlooks the hill country. It's a beautiful
2: little chapel on the hill.
0: And uh, I, I felt the presence of something that I had never really felt before. Oh, now, wow. with the suicide attempt and all the stuff going on, I was starting to reconnect with that Lutheran God that I was, yeah. you know, bringing up. Um, but the the big thing about the spiritual experience was all of a sudden. I was overwhelmed how my addiction had been hurting everybody around me, where before that wasn't even on my radar. Not on the radar. It's Uh -uh.
1: almost like a God download. It's like in moments, you suddenly have a full picture, and you're like, oh. Suddenly was not about me. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And I mean, I'm getting chills remembering it, but I mean, I was crying. The snot... Crying, yeah. Snot bubble
1: coming up. Yeah.
0: And I committed. I'm like, I'm gonna. I'm committed to twelve to twelve steps. Yeah. And yeah. building a relationship with God. Wow. And I want to do these things right. Um. And I left that chapel. Now I. I didn't stay sober. Right. Um. I left that treatment experience and and got neck deep in twelve steps. Made a bunch of really great recovery friends. And. um... You know, there were a few missteps. Yep, me too. You know?
2: Happen with me too. Don't go anywhere. We're gonna take one last break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio.
1: Hopefully we'll talk about Pedro.
2: No, we're not talking about Pedro. Pedro. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. In studio with me is my husband, Donnie, and my good friend, Brian Brennan of Starlight Recovery Center. So I'm the same as you, Brian. Like, I did not take the suggestions that were given to me. Uh, Even though I had a profound experience Um, with recovery and with God, um, when I left treatment, I didn't apply what they asked me to do and I relapsed. And that's what happened to you too?
0: Absolutely, a thousand percent. And it was also pointed out to me that I had some other compulsions besides drinking and using um, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't willing to look at that. Um, And so, uh, after that treatment episode, I had two more treatment episodes. And during that time, I started taking all the suggestions. Yeah. If they would have told me to go to treatment or to go to a 12-step meeting, I had to strip naked, rolling glass, and stand in a, a headstand in the corner, I would have done it. Yeah. I became 100% completely willing. A and-
1: savage butt-kicking will do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also identified the fact that I had addictions to sex, love, codependency. Um, and with the base being 12 steps and very hardcore in 2015, um, really focused clinically, yeah. especially through EMDR therapy, on everything as a totality, it all kind of came together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the foundation of my recovery today is being a sober member of a 12-step program yep. and everything that that entails, right? Um, I stay in touch with a therapist. Mm-hmm. I have medical interventions that work well with me because if you try to kill yourself, they'll diagnose you with a depressive disorder. yeah, yeah. Um, right. You know, and I, I stay true to that. You know, if I keep doing all these things on the 28th of January, I'll have seven years sober. Wow. right? Nice. So. So I got the tools today. I don't feel apart, separate, and different. Um, And I do the work on a daily basis that keeps me together.
1: Something that caught my attention that I did not know, and I I knew it from you, but then hearing you share it as well is the fact that Starlight makes it really easy to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, because you know Heather, you and I. Well, and you and I are are in this community in Houston, and we're constantly hearing about people trying to get here and trying to get here, and we need a ride. and And it sounds like Starlight now for you. I've seen a picture of when you went to treatment. Let's not talk
2: about that. So, and evidently, uh, <laughs> Starlight
1: makes it a requirement that if you fly to them, you need to be dressed like, like, a, lepre- Rose. like a leprechaun <laughs> Axel Rose. That's... So that's what I
2: look like, yeah. So I was like in a detox in Oklahoma, but it was my third trip there. And I knew if I got out on that seventh day, I was going to get loaded again. And, and every fiber of my being did not want to, but I couldn't not. I didn't know why yet. So they put me on a plane. So I called I call this phone number, and this guy, Bob, who worked for Starlight, happened to answer my call. And I get choked up every time I talk about it because that man answering my phone call completely changed the direction of my life for the rest of my life. And it's the only reason I have the life I have today. And he took time. He left a business lunch to come and talk to me, and he worked it out for me to come to Starlight. I'd never heard of Starlight. I didn't know what a Kerrville was. I, I didn't understand anything. I'd never been to 30-day treatment before. And they fly me out. Uh, this lady picks me up at, at the airport and she's telling me all about Kerrville and tell me all about Starlight and the different programs. And I'll let you elaborate on the programs and stuff because, man, that was the first place I got my first big book. And one sentence on page 51 says, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living is so unsatisfactory. W- with or without drugs or alcohol, life sucked for me. And and I'm like, maybe these people have a solution. And I go to they made me go to my step classes, right? You have to go to the big book groups and all of that. And what those men that were teaching Big Book there at that time did for me is exactly what I do today at Matthew's Hope for our clients coming through. I will recreate that with that information because it hit me like a ton of bricks. They talked about the cycle of addiction. They talked about the allergy and the obsession or the no choice and no control. And I had never been given that info before.
1: Did they talk to you about like... DWIs and how much you're drinking nope. and partying they didn't and care
2: what I drank how often I what? drink or how much I drink or any consequences I may or may not have had they didn't care about the externals they I thought to.
1: that's what makes you an alcoholic no it's oh. not
2: turns out oh. it's not and people get fixated on these externals and and these guys were armed with the facts about chronic alcoholism and chronic drug addiction and the guy had the same DOC as me which is heroin teaching mm-hmm. the group and I was just like these people have an answer I just I felt it in my core
1: and even if you were Weren't ready at that time, and I
2: wasn't. I left and didn't do what they asked me to a do. Seed. It planted the seed. and I went. I went back to Starlight a second time a year later in Thanks August Thanks to Pedro. <laughs> no, <laughs> so uh, no. My last run, my last spree. I was homeless, living in a storage unit, technically in August in Kerrville, Texas. And and I called one of the friends in in town in Kerrville that helps people get in treatment, and and he got me in right away to Starlight again. It took me two more days to get rid of my party favors and show up. Yep. Did your
1: storage? <laughs> yep. Did your storage unit have a hot tub? Let's not
2: talk about the storage unit okay, back to brian um, <laughs> but it was such a profound thing to be given the answers of why i'm not happy even when i'm sober due right. to the spiritual stuff of it and then also why i couldn't not do it despite my desire to be sober and it all finally culminated that, that this is what i need to do to get well and you know when i left the first time i didn't do it and i didn't get well i relapsed for another 10 months but i went to starlight a second time i got to do the journey program i had an amazing counselor I met amazing friends. Um, everything about that place, like even the old pastor in the chapel, like he would sing Brother these, Leroy. Leroy, He would sing these old-fashioned hymns, and I grew up Pentecostal, and so it was just taking me
1: Pentecostal.
2: It was just taking me <laughs> back to like really having an opportunity to reconnect with the spirit of the universe in a way that I was closed off to and didn't know it.
0: Absolutely, and that's what Starlight does so um, brilliantly. Um, I went back to Starlight again myself, and I never had any intentions of working at Starlight, (laughs) but that was
1: a a god thing. Um, Were you fresh and clean into sobriety, like I'm going to get an LCDC? I'm going to. I love those.
0: I was. I was, (laughs) but I didn't start really trying to work in the treatment industry until I was about. I was right at two years sober. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, uh, when you know, Starlight works really really hard to eliminate as many barriers to treatment as possible right you oh, know yeah, I love that so we can do that by making getting there easier we do that by being a network with almost every uh major, major insurance. insurance company that mm-hmm. that's out there we work with almost every iteration of tricare insurance we work with managed Medicaid yep accounts right Um, we are a wonderful value if you're going to pay you know um, uh, on a cash basis for treatments Um, and we have awesome awesome programs Um, we have our liberty program which is fairly new we've historically worked with uh, uh, veterans active duties their families first responders and our liberty program now is a self contained program for active duty veterans and first responders oh that's great I've
2: I've seen the film photos of, mm-hmm. of the space. for it, it is so gorgeous. One of
0: our newest buildings on campus. Um, it is a 32-bed a uh, facility. Mm-hmm. We're able to work with uh, the Houston VA. Mm-hmm. Uh, great relationships with, with VA hospitals and, and able to help people there. Um, and then I was able to use not only the Journey program, which is a Christian approach mm-hmm. to recovery, um, but I was also in one of the first classes of the Freedom, Freedom. Program, mm-hmm. which is treatment specific for the LBGTQI plus community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I a big part of my issue in my recovery was that dichotomy of identifying as Christian but being part of the LBGT community and thinking those two th- things couldn't go together. Mm-hmm. And at Starlight... I learned through the Freedom Program they built the and through the Journey Program that I could be both, and this is how.
2: Yeah, right.
1: You know what I love about that too is that you know when I came into this deal, I was compl- I was militant atheist. I mean militant atheist. He would uh,
2: argue Noah's Ark with anybody.
1: I mean, let's just talk logistics for a minute. You know <laughs> what I mean? Okay. So the thing is that what I love about what you're describing is that when I came into this program, what what sort of opened the door for me was that it's like God of your understanding, we don't care.
2: Yeah.
1: But now that I'm a Christian, I'm not allowed to talk about it.
2: And I <laughs> love NAA. that Starlight,
1: mm-hmm. as a program, is like, no, no, no cool, come in, let's yeah. talk about it. Um, right. And then with your veterans programs, uh, do you guys deal with? Do you guys work with Camp Hope at all? Is that somebody you work with, or just the VA in Houston?
0: Um, right now, just the VA in Houston. Okay. We're hoping to expand and be able to work with more iterations, but these are the relationships that we have right now. But it's an I amazing program.
2: Like, if a client in Houston here comes through my detox, but they want to go to longer residential, we've had some veterans that we refer to Starlight. They come pick them up. They, they, they do break down all those barriers. So if someone's wanting to get a hold of Starlight or find yeah. out more information, what's your info?
0: Definitely. So please check us out. All these programs are available at recovery. Now, we spell Starlight S-T-A-R-L-I-T-E. You can also call in directly at 830-634-2212. Choose option one and 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have somebody available there. And also, just so you know, we're also offering smart recovery. We offer refuge recovery, red line recovery. We have equine therapy. We're a holistic approach to treatments. I'm thinking about drinking.
2: <laughs> just so you can go to Starlight? <laughs> well, yeah. um, send you. I, yeah, I got a
0: so Check out the website. <laughs> you know, give us a call um, and let us know how we can help you or your loved ones
2: out. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. I've enjoyed having you. Thanks, Donnie. Uh please listen next week. We're gonna have my sister on the show next nice. week. You're listening to Relevant well, yeah. Recovery Radio.
1: You don't wanna miss it. Thanks. For
2: <laughs>